Listening to the Noise Canceling Pod, the podcast about streamlining life, encouraging discourse, and maximizing your mind. Hosted by Frank Boyce and Axel Clark. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Noise Canceling Pod. I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. We are glad you joined us again. This is episode 42. Uh, tonight, we're going to be, or this morning, or whenever you listen to it, we're going to be talking about change management. But I did want to share some exciting news with with. You listeners, um, we have decided to do a special four-year anniversary episode coming up in November for episode 44. How are you feeling about that, Axel? I'm excited. I think it's amazing that we've been able to do 11 episodes per year. <laughs> so, <laughs> A strenuous pace that we have set. I, I think that the pace is necessary to sustain for the four-year time period. I bet there's not that many podcasts that have a four-year run. That's true. That's a good point. I'm, I'm sure there's many that have quit before both episode 44 and four years. So I, I, I want to congratulate us early before we've even gotten there on, on <laughs> our air quotes hard work. Yeah. <laughs> so like I said, tonight we're talking about change management. And, you know, I think it's it's an interesting topic to come about just because, you know, Axel being in the military, myself having been in the military and now on you know, the private sector said, uh, I was curious to just kind of compare notes on, you know, as big changes come across as changes in your, your own team, um, and team dynamics change, you know, talking about those differences and talk about, you know, what we've learned and, you know, for Axel, what, 15 years now? I think it's 16. Wow. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Far more impressive than four years of (laughs) podcasting. So do you just want to kick us off and, you know, talk through kind of your own personal philosophy on change management and then maybe share a few just examples of when your, your organization or your team was going through a big change? Sure. I think the, well, the biggest change that I've seen recently in my own personal life is a change in how Air Force contracting is like the, the philosophy of Air Force contracting. And the idea is that we're becoming more proactive. We're trying to take a larger leadership role in the Air Force, and we're not sitting back acting as advisors, but we're going to uh, act as mission-focused business leaders. And I think the uh, I've really been impressed with how this concept has been rolled out because anyone who's been around government contracting or Air Force contracting knows that it's a very risk-averse community, and I think it's probably due to uh, situations or I guess I'll call it like incidents in the past where people have gotten burned or they've there's many cases where people went out on a limb and took a risk and they got their hands slapped or worse. So I think there's a lot of fear about getting away from a compliance focus and more towards a mission focused uh, approach. And so the thing that I've been impressed the most is Air Force contracting has rolled this out is it started with the why, because I think you have to convince people why the change is necessary and motivate them to at least, they may not like it, but they I think if they don't understand the why at the start, then you're fighting an uphill battle to convince them that whatever that change is, uh, they should go along with. Yeah, I mean that's that's a hundred percent true. I think the the biggest challenges from my own experience in change management are when you can't answer the why to your team, you know, and and there's obviously lots of those situations where you know it just is what it is. Do you feel like from you know a military perspective, you know, how do you walk through some of those situations where you know the why hasn't been answered sometimes the how sometimes the what you know it's been right been not rolled out in in an easy and, and clear way i, I think the, the one challenge cause we've done we've done some changes in my own squad and there's a one challenge of on one hand you want to give people the information as soon as you have it 
but then on the other hand they want to know the how and the and the details and the what and if you if you're gonna be able to explain all that then you're not going to be able to tell them what's going on early and so i think it's a kind of a challenge to figure out uh in terms of transparency how early do you tell people and uh so that if you tell them too early perhaps then maybe there's just like a lot of consternation and not a lot of movement and it's like they'd be better off not even knowing what's going on i don't know no i think that's that's completely true i think you know, walking that, that line of where the team feels like you're on the same page as them, you're on you're on their team, so to speak. Like when a lot of projects get maybe get rolled out from above you and are, are flowing down through your team and are, you know, being told exactly what to do. I mean, it it's definitely a tightrope sometimes to, like you said, keep people informed, but also, you know, maybe keep them somewhat uninformed in terms of if you're still walking through exactly how it's going to be rolled out and how it's going to affect them long term. Yeah, I think though, getting back to the why, you owe it to your team to go back and also owe it to your leader above you or around you to go back to them if you don't understand the why and give them a chance to readdress it. Because I tell my folks all the time that I always think that I clearly communicate whatever I think we're doing or where we're going. And most times I do a poor job of that. So anytime that they're, they feel like they don't know what's going on or they're, it's unclear why we're doing something, then I hope that they'll give me the chance to explain it to them again uh, and at least give me a chance to try to communicate it better the second time. Sure. No, I mean, I think that's, that's exactly how a leader should be. I mean, I think when you can have that relationship with your subordinates or your direct reports, that's the ideal situation, right? I mean, when leaders get in trouble, it's when they keep information too close to their vest where their team feels like, you know, they're just waiting behind the curtain for you to pop out with, you know, your your life-saving information or, you know, something that you're just going to roll out and they're going to be beholden to whatever your your standards are. I think that's where people really do start falling back and not feeling connected to the team at all. Yeah. I think also when you're the leader and you've been thinking about this chain for a change for a while probably, then the why is kind of ob- like obvious to you. And then when you explain it to someone the first time, they haven't had the time to kind of mold mull it over and think about it as long. So it's going to take them a while to kind of understand it most likely. So I think there it takes a little bit of patience and uh, effort to make sure that it's well communicated. I think that's an awesome point because I, I know me personally, I, I tend to break things down to, you know, kind of more strategic view. And I think a lot of times it's really key to over communicate change, especially to your team um, in a way that, like you said, if you're super familiar with what's going to happen and how it's going to be rolled out, it may seem almost like redundant mentally to like walk through these things at a very granular level. But there may be people on your team that are wired very, very differently than you are um, and want that granular level of information where they're like, okay, go from this step to this step to this step to this step. And even, especially for me, like that that seems hard. That's a big step for me to do to get, get down on, to not on to that level because that sounds, that sounds like I'm speaking down to them, but in a way where if we've, if I know exactly where it's going, it seems like I'm, wasting their time to talk through it step by step Mm, but like but like you said like i think there's a lot of people that it takes a while for them to process that and process it completely different than i am like that's the key is you know meeting them wherever (laughs) they're coming from so they feel it's being fully communicated yeah so i mean i think i mean i've i've gone through a couple projects somewhat recently where you know i can't really answer the why I, I can barely answer the how, um, you know, the what sometimes takes a while to actually get to. And, you know, training is, is difficult with, with team members. And I think, you know, about a year ago, you know, we kind of had to go into embrace the suck mode. Um, I mean, we even had a contest called embrace the suck because, mm-hmm. because it was just like, 
we were going through a really tough time on the team where, you know, struggling with change management, struggling with, you know, turnover and personnel issues. And we just needed something to pull everybody together. And I couldn't answer those questions. But the one thing that I did have control over was, hey, here's where we need to get to in a few months. You know, let's let's figure out a way that we can we can find incentives that everyone can understand. I like that. Yeah, I think that's because ultimately you got to a why. It may not have been what the company's why was, but you like motivated or um, organized your team and got you all moving in the same direction with a some sort of a why. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's a that's a great point. That really is the why is because we're a team and a unit together, and no matter what it is, even if it may not seem logical to our team members mm-hmm. or you know necessary we're we're going to go there together because that's what we've defined as our goal in this in this particular area yeah so one other thing that i think i've noticed about this air force effort is a lot of times you'll see people who want to change a culture and they will dictate down hey this is what y'all need to be doing but then there's no evidence like that they're doing it themselves and i think one thing that I've been impressed by with the Air Force uh, change effort is so one of the one of the ideas is that we're going to start delegating down more authorities, and so the first person to delegate authorities was the the leader who's trying to institute, institute this change, and the amount of authority that was delegated down was completely radical. Yeah, <laughs> like it was where that person used to have used to have to do a bunch of different reviews and now they were doing zero reviews so it went from maybe reviewing 30 contracts a year and then zero where the staff is going but wait like what are we even here for if we're not doing these reviews mm-hmm. but that was like i think that's a good example of this like we're we are i'm not just telling you to do this like i'm demonstrating what i want people to be doing at my level and then the people below them, it's almost like if you're not delegating stuff further down, then then what's wrong or what's the like what's the holdup from your perspective? So I think if you're trying to make change happen across a big organization, I think if the headquarters isn't implementing these things, it's very hard to convince the people all the way down at the lowest unit level that these are actual changes that are going to stick. Yeah, I mean, that's such a strong message. How, how do you feel like that is communicated down? Is it is it from this experience, is it more that they see that change, like in their, their day-to-day activities? Is it something that's actually discussed and, and you know, disseminated more broadly? Or, you know, like how, how does that kind of flow down? So I think the this is like another communication challenge where technically those specific changes wouldn't impact, but maybe 5% of the workforce. Mm-hmm. So you're they're not going to necessarily see it in their day-to-day work, but I think that's where communicating on any any medium you have as a leader to communicate to your workforce like you mm-hmm. he they're emphasizing these wins that we've had of hey, here's some areas where we've delegated stuff down. Here's other areas. So I think it's it's not as simple as just doing it. There's a messaging effort that has to go along with it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I mean, that's such a powerful one to say, like, like who, who are you to like hang on to your power when this person who has substantially more power than you is saying, you know, I, I trust the people below me like that. That's a super powerful message. And one that's very, very important to empower change especially when, like you said, it's very radical in that organization to take on risk of any kind, let let alone like say, you know what, not only do I want to take on risk, but I I trust whatever risk-taking activity you're going to be pursuing and just give you that authority. Like that's, that's super cool. Yeah. It's, I, I think that people are excited about it and you know how it changes. A lot of times change is not embraced, but People are excited. I think people are still waiting to see the first big blow up that goes south because of this and then mm. see how the leaders react. But overall, I think 
people are embracing it and really trying to to uh, embody what the change we're trying to do. When you think about how large of, I mean, whatever metaphor you want to use here, whether it's a boulder or, you know, something larger than that, like you're, you guys are trying to move this huge organization in a very different direction. And, you know, to do it in such a short amount of time takes an insane amount of effort. So do you feel like there's any challenge from, you know, I think, like you said, the delegation, the power is there, the the level of communication to say, here's where we're going is there. But do you feel like just shifting that momentum is a, a leadership challenge in itself? I think it's huge. And the other thing I will say is I think there has to be stories around. You can say, hey, I want people to be a mission-focused business leader. But if you don't have a story of, here's an example of someone doing that, I think that it just it's hard for people to make the connection to. So I think communicating a bunch of different stories of here's how we've done it or here's how this person has done it, I think that is better than just beating someone in the head over and over again with just narrative words. Uh, I think the story helps to, helps people make the connection. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, then the stories, the stories spread like, hey, did you hear about this? Did you hear about this? They're really doing this versus mm-hmm. no one saying, hey, do you hear? I mean, now people are saying mission-focused business leader is like exciting, but if it's just a word on its own, that's not going to catch any kind of, it's not going to go viral. But if you have stories related to it, I think that's where you get a lot of momentum. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like there's, there's much resistance kind of from the people who have, you know, many, many years experience kind of in the old system? I mean, everybody does at this point. I think there's skepticism from my perspective I think it's important to acknowledge that this happened to like this happened to people six years ago. They tried to step outside the box, and then an inspection came, and they got written up big time. So I think it's important to acknowledge that that did occur, and those that was real pain that you felt. But here, it's a new age; it's a new uh, environment. So let's give it one more shot. So I think for those folks it's important to acknowledge that there's a reason that they're hesitant, but let's give it a shot because it's a new environment. So how, how do you think about handling those challenges when they do come up? I mean, I, I, I feel like both of us kind of have similar mindsets of, you know, we're going to, we're going to swing for the fences until somebody catches the ball. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. But you know, have you thought through not just the the reaction to the situation itself, but the the reaction in terms of communicating throughout your your organization? You know, when some challenges come up, you know, how are you going to address that, and how are you going to continue to push forward? Where you know, a, a slight setback, a, a momentary shift in that doesn't necessarily result in losing all this momentum for something that could be very transformative. Yeah, I think it's people are watching the it's you have to be very careful and mindful of that people are watching for the first time that something like that happens and it goes south and they want to see if the leader has their back or if the leader is going to um throw them under the bus. Right. So, I think you have to be very mindful when those things particularly the very first time or the first couple times people have their eye on how it's going to work out. So, I I think a huge shift like that is so interesting and not just interesting, but I think it's very dynamic in terms of all the different ways you need to communicate. Do you feel like there's any challenges more at like a smaller team level to walk through? Um, just because I think when it's coming down from such a high level, like people just kind of need to jump on board in general. Um, but do you feel like at more of a, of a, interpersonal level there there's anything that has to be addressed i don't know i think i I would i think it's it's easier when you're like when you get to higher levels and you're leading teams of teams Mm -hmm. i i think it becomes more challenging across those different teams to make sure that the message gets all the way down because your different folks working for you are going to have different buy-in on the message and different ways of presenting the message 
and different skill or capability in how they communicate. And so I think that and it's that that is the challenge is I mean if you can just communicate to the person directly, mm-hmm. it's a it's a little more easy it's easier than communicating through another layer or another couple of layers trying to get the message all the way down. Sure. No, I mean I think me personally that's that's more my communication style anyway. So I I tend to to like those one on one settings or one on two or one on three where it's a little bit smaller where people feel more comfortable to ask questions. And really it's more you know, it's not necessarily selecting the right amount of information to share, but providing a an avenue and a conversation for, for making them more comfortable. Yeah. I think for me, I'm generally leaning toward like being introverted. Mm-hmm. So like three to four people, I feel much more comfortable like talking in groups that size than in massive groups. Sure. And so do you, do you feel like for, for this change from your standpoint, you, you folk, like you spend a lot of time doing that? Um, just because I feel like out of necessity, a lot of times I, I would have expected it to be larger groups and, you know, really focusing and trying to select the right information to share with, with everybody. Yeah, I probably need to focus more on making sure that talking to large groups, I'm effective. Like, I think I'm okay at it, but it's certainly an area that I could improve. For sure. I, the chief of staff or chief master sergeant of the Air Force came and talked to us earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was last week. And he was amazing in how he could take questions that, even questions that, uh, People were trying to, like, say, hey, this group of people aren't producing and how can we get rid of them or how can we make sure that that they step up their game? And he was able to, like, spin the question from a negative Mm -hmm. and, like, give a joke to kind of break the ice and then spin it to a positive. And he could just do that over and over again. It was super impressive. And connect to the audience with stories where you walked away saying, oh yeah, this is the story or this is the analogy that he used. Like his analogies would go across multiple questions. Mm -hmm. It was impressive. It was like, I wish I had it on tape. It was amazing. (laughs) That'd be awesome if you had it on tape and then you did like a a TED talk breaking down how he's so much better communicator than we are. (laughs) Oh, it could, you could easily do that. It was, I was... I was amazed. It was a good, it was really good. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. When I when I meet people that are, I mean, almost transcendent in the way that they communicate with larger groups, where you know you're not you're not made like that. You're not biologically driven to communicate well with large groups. I, I totally identify with that. I think I'm I'm like a 52% E extrovert and 48% mm-hmm. introvert and definitely go towards the introvert tendencies in larger groups so I, I i'm completely on board with that and i think when you see people like you said like when you handle questions that you're probably slightly uncomfortable with or you know a normal person would be super uncomfortable with and can handle them very gracefully and tactfully and use it as spin it in a way that benefits the entire group but it's still like answering it in a in a way that people can tell it's genuine, like that is right. the most impressive skill. Because a lot of people can spin BS, right? You know, right. And just just politic, but it's a very rare person that that on answers those questions honestly. I mean, that's pretty much the only way you can come off as as genuine. Yes. So that's cool. Yeah, I was taking I was taking notes. I don't know exactly how you train yourself. I'm sure there's ways of practicing and getting better, but definitely. He's got to have a lot of natural talent and then probably a lot of hard work as well. Well, it's just, honestly, I think a lot of his, not to take away from this person, but a lot of his repetition where like yeah. you, you just throw yourself into these situations that make yourself, make you really uncomfortable and you just learn through the fire of being like, all right, I'm, I'm up here. Like I, I need to provide an honest answer. And just right. working through that yourself. I mean, it's it's almost like stand-up comedy to a certain extent. Yeah, and I guess I'm sure he's had those questions over and over again, or 
those probably weren't the first times he got those questions, but nonetheless, very impressive. I mean, even if it's a different iteration, like you still have to be really comfortable with yourself, and mm-hmm. and I think super honest with whoever whomever the audience is to to meet them where they are. Because um, I mean, I've seen, I'm sure you've seen a million motivational speakers, and like you can tell within two minutes if this person is authentic, right? Yeah. Like, you're like, okay, this guy's up here to sell his book. Okay, this guy has, like, a five-step program that he thought was revolutionary and mm-hmm. has somehow scammed people into paying him lots of money to come and speak. Um, or it's just, like, normal people who are not comfortable and, like, they just have their speech memorized. Like, it's, it's so easy to tell that. And I think even breaking that down to a, a smaller level of, you know, what we're talking about tonight with change management, I think that's an important thing that is hard for me to remember is like, however I communicate and whatever the changes, like meeting that audience in an honest way, in a way that's authentic to my communication style is probably as important, if not more important than the message that I'm actually communicating. Yeah, I think yeah, that's a hundred percent true. And, but that, I mean, that's, that's the hard part, right? Like when you're, especially like in situations that I've been in where you can't necessarily provide the perfect answers, like you want to overthink it and provide an answer that seems better than it actually is. Right. And so I think, I think that's where you lose trust, where you try to sugarcoat it. And then that's not, everyone's like, this is BS. And then that's not what ends up happening. And then you've lost the trust of the people. So it's almost like when you have the hard question, it's best to, like you say, give the honest answer. And even though it's kind of painful, but in the long run, you, it, you save trust, which is probably the most important thing. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's really, like you said, it's, it's them trusting you as a leader, not necessarily trusting the change, but to say, you know, wherever we're going, like, I, I guess I'm, I'm on board because I, I, I want to keep this team together and moving in the direction that we've chosen. Yeah. So in a rare step for this podcast, I did want to walk through kind of a list of, you know, five different types of uh, organizational change and get, you know, see if you have any examples that come to mind. See if you have okay. any, maybe even tips or tricks that we can, we can share with other leaders mm-hmm. that listen to the podcast. Um, I would love to learn a few things myself. So the five, the five different types of organizational change are organizational wide change, um, transformational change. I just started scrolling down. Personnel change, uh, which I think will be an interesting one for us to compare and contrast um, the military versus the private sector. Unplanned changes and then remedial change. Um, okay. So I mean, I think what you're talking about. No, most recently and and the last few podcasts is that organizational wide change. You know, I I kind of look at this as inevitable change is another word I wanted to use with that where, you know, there's not really a discussion of like, is this coming? Do we have control over this? Can we say no? Like, it's just happening. Mm -hmm. And I I think there are challenges with that. But I, I also think that in some ways that's the easiest change. Um, just because it's like, well, we got to figure this out, guys, because this is what's happening. Um, and sometimes you may not have a date for when it's happening, but just knowing that that's coming. And, you know, sometimes that's the challenge in itself to keep people calm. Yeah. I think that it talks about this article that we can throw in the show notes, talks about the need for planning and that you need to have executed with precision. And I think that is hard to... Uh, because like we talked about earlier, when you're doing all the planning, you, you want to communicate, but you kind of have to hold it in. If you're going to do planning and roll this change out, you have to kind of hold it within this, a certain group to get it to a certain point yeah. before you roll it out. So Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I, I think a lot of times when you, know, you read a new business book or you know, an article from you know, your, your alma mater... Um, it's a little, it's a little glossed over if we're being honest. Like so often, these processes are, you know, <laughs> there's lots of fits and starts, and it's not going to be smooth. And 
even the best planned transition is going to have challenges. And, you know, like we were going back to, like, communicate in a very honest way. Be super authentic and just say, you know, here's what I know. <laughs> here's when it's supposedly going to happen. Like, I, let's hope for the best and let's let's plan based on the information that we have today. Yeah. All right, so the next one is transformational change. I think this is at maybe like a business unit or a little bit lower level. Yep. And it talks a little about like implementing different digital technology. Mm-hmm. And so I was having a discussion with uh, one of my the folks in my office today and kind of over the last couple of weeks we've been talking about this because on one hand, the Air Force is giving us more Tech, like technology tools mm-hmm. to do things like chat or messaging or file sharing or things like that. But in some ways, it's almost like they're giving us too many options. Yeah. And there's not a good guide to say, like, here's when, here's when it's best to use this type, this tool. Here's when it's best to use that tool. And so things are just spread out across all these different tools. And in some ways, it's like, it's chaotic. Yeah. And so... For me, on one hand, I'm thinking, well, at least they're giving us additional tools that we have the option of using. But then, on the other hand, the guy in my office is saying, which he makes a great point, that once you roll out so many of these tools, it becomes too much chaos. And you almost need to dictate when these tools are used and set more guidance as to if at least give good guidance when to use each set of tools and maybe even almost like outlaw or not outlaw, but basically be very prescriptive as to when certain tools are used. Mm-hmm. Because if you roll out new tools and then they're just halfway adopted or partially adopted, then they aren't effective and stuff is spread all over the place. Yeah, I mean, that's that's such a good point on just IT infrastructure in general. Like, if you don't have a clearly defined set of instructions and protocol it doesn't matter how good your tools are like that's that's to me just a fact like you could have the greatest tools in the world and if nobody on your team or multiple teams know how to use it or know when to use it it it's just not it's not helpful at all i mean even like i i remember it like a couple previous jobs ago i found this super cool tool called trello and Mm -hmm. you know i I spent, I don't know, a frank amount of time getting this thing ready to like actually roll out to some of our customers. And it was, I mean, it's a really cool, powerful tool. And we just could never get agreement from leadership on how they wanted us to use it with our customers and and how we were going to roll it out and what the customers were going to use. And it was a platform that was perfectly designed for you know, having an organized flow of documents back and forth for having conversation, for assigning tasks for who is going to do different things. And it was a pretty long list of, you know, us and our customers. And there was lots of things to share back and forth and lots of people on different teams. And it was, in my mind, the perfect platform. And just mm-hmm. because we could never really, you know, meet in the middle or, or find, you know, exactly what that perfect strategy was and protocol like we just ended up we canceled we we like had signed a contract to to use it for a couple years and we just ended up canceling Mm -hmm. it after about six months when we we just couldn't define define the need and define how we were going to use it yeah i think i don't like to dictate things but i think in some ways like you almost have to dictate the use of the of these certain tools and then otherwise they're not just people need to get in them and and start using them and then they start figuring things out but unless you dictate it sometimes they're just it's not going to happen well i think when when you're looking at a new process or a new tool for the toolbox a lot of times it's just like the shininess of it makes you not want to do that makes you want to under communicate and kind of just let people explore and see how cool it is but to your point like for them to actually use it effectively and for them to get into it and transition quickly and really be able to use it well requires that from the starting point like it it feels overly constrictive for a new thing because you almost want to like give people more freedom to get in and learn it for themselves Mm -hmm. i don't know i think 
in the once we get through the end of the fiscal year, I have a goal of doing what we're going to call the contracting squad and digital transformation. Mm-hmm. And part of that is just to write down in a guide like what to use for what. So like the biggest example is we have both a shared drive, a shared network drive, and SharePoint. And no one knows like what should go onto SharePoint, what should go onto the shared drive. We also have this other kind of this is a little bit of an older approach, but we had an Excel file that links to a bunch of documents within our shared drive. So there's like three different ways that you can get at information. And then on the shared drive there's like multiple folders. So you just like you never know where it's supposed where you're supposed to go. And so my goal is to just like we've talked about like, hey, we're not using this anymore for for this for that Mm -hmm. we're only putting stuff here and moving it over and then either like completely archiving the old stuff or deleting it and then but i think it has to be written down and somehow you have to like train people or get people like used to using it a certain way Mm -hmm. i started laughing not out of judgment but because you know in every office and organization that i've been in and there's there's been a lot we've I've had some form of that conversation about you know the different places that we store things the different tools where we store files and share folders and SharePoint and it's literally the same in every organization where you're just trying to figure out and align because there's all these tools that have been in place for you know maybe 10 years and people Mm -hmm. people from one office have used one thing and people from another office have used another so I've I've heard that discussion in so many different forms. It's just, it's just kind of fun. I can almost like feel the listeners nodding along with you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So number three is uh, personnel change. Um, so this is one that I'm probably most interested to to hear the difference between, you know, the military and the private sector. I feel like on the private sector side, it is extremely disruptive when when people move um either internally or externally and can have i mean have very long-term effects on the team makeup and the team chemistry i guess you're right so i never thought about the idea that people moving like people in the military are used to moving around and so if you move to a different unit in some ways it's it's kind of expected and people are it's not problem i mean it's the biggest thing that happens to that person that year, but it's not something that they're that's unplanned for and unexpected, really. Yeah, I mean, just thinking back, like it's such an inevitability that people are leaving, and you know, especially in in the time period, you know, ten years ago now, um, when people were deploying constantly. I mean, like you were just waiting for the next set of orders to drop next week sometimes, and you know, like. <laughs> there was no question of like, oh, do you think we can do this? Like, yeah, somebody's going to fill in for that person and replace them next week and we'll figure it out. Hmm. Yeah. And I feel like on on this side, you know, I think it's very stressful because sometimes changes only occur every few years. And it's not inevitable that, A, you're going to get a new person um, and, B, that you maybe even have the people in place to cover cover whatever that person was doing now are you is the examples that you're giving are this is this when the person just moves for like personal reasons or are you talking about like someone's let go i, th- I think it can be both i mean i i've seen both in our, our organization in the last year where you know somebody just moved on uh either internally or to a different organization or was let go and you know you figure out a way to do it but there's not that sense of inevitability at all it's just kind of at times everyone's looking around trying to figure out like how that gap is going to be filled and you know to a to a greater extent i think there's an attitude of you know we're not even sure how well this team is going to recover or what additional downstream effects are going to be from this one person leaving yeah Hmm. and that was something i i honestly had just never really even considered you know like when when people, I would say up until a point last year, you know, if, if someone was 
leaving or telling me they were going to leave. It was just kind of like, yeah, that's, I, I hope wherever you're going is going to work out great for you. I, <laughs> I really appreciate everything that you've done, and I, I know our team is going to be fine. Is <laughs> kind of the attitude mm-hmm. that I had. And I, I just don't think I ever really considered the big shifts in, you know, team dynamics and how, you know, in some regards, a, a team is far more sensitive if they're if they're used to that same makeup and, and personalities being there. Right. And there, it's probably, well, I'm not saying that the military is good at onboarding the new people, but in some ways we're, in theory, because we do it more frequently, we have more processes and programs in place to bring new people on versus if no one's ever changing out on your teams, then you've never had to exercise your onboarding process. And so it could be good, but it's most likely not kept up to date with any changes that you've done internally. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I definitely think the onboarding process is, is far better in the military where, you know, every once in a while you'll hear a story where, like, somebody was just thrown someplace and had to figure it out. <laughs> I may have had some yeah. personal experience with that. But I, I think as a general rule, I think there there's a lot of good training documentation and at least processes are, are documented really well where even if somebody is kind of thrown into the fire, there's still something to point them to. It's not just them sitting at a desk, like wondering what the hell is going on. Like mm-hmm. here, here's the protocol. Here's a project that you can work on, you know, like get to work on that. But like here, here's enough information where you, you should be able to do your job effectively. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I do, I just am really struck by, you know, I think sensitivity is too strong of a word, but the the effect on team chemistry in general that personnel changes have, I, I think, is very different than you know the unit camaraderie that is, is somewhat agnostic of the people that are there, right? Maybe I want I wonder if it's not totally as disruptive, but nearly as disruptive in the military. Like you still have to go through that storming phase to get that team when the new person comes in. So I wonder if it's nearly as dis- disruptive, but we just expect it to be disruptive and we're just like planning to overcome it. It definitely could be. And and I also think that just the, again, kind of going back to the, the chief master sergeant, just the reps of those changeovers, like they those have to have some positive effect in terms of the length of time it takes to storm and the length of time it takes to, to form a cohesive unit, right? Like if you've, if you've had 35 people come in and out in the last five years, you're going to be a lot more comfortable with that change than, you know, somebody who's seen four people change over in the last four years. Yeah. This is bringing me back to one of my biggest lessons learned when I was a commander at LUD. And that was, so I had two crews and they changed out, like there were 16 people in my office and they changed over 100% besides me and the equivalent of the deputy. And so the first crew came in. We had six months together. It was awesome. They were rocking and rolling. By the time they left, everything was like they were just hitting on all our cylinders. No problems. And so the new crew came in. And like the two just started bumping heads in weird ways that you wouldn't have expected. And I'll give you two examples. So one the original crew used to go to lunch at 12 o'clock. Every single day, they would go to lunch at 12. Well, the new person come, came in, and at 11.30, they stood up and go, hey, let's go to lunch. And then the old crew's like, what are you talking about? We got to lunch at noon. And they've been going to lunch at noon for the last six months. And so they were offended by this person's <laughs> suggestion to go at 11:30 and not 12. And then similarly, they would always go to breakfast. They would uh go shower and then go to breakfast. And so this this is going toward there was like a a four week transition. So this is going to where now it's more old people or new people than old people. Mm-hmm. And so the new people are in this van and an old person gets into the van after PT and they're like, "Hey, we're going to breakfast." And he's like, what are you talking about? We go to we go shower and then we go to breakfast. And like, nah, no, nah, we think we're gonna get go to breakfast first. He's like, Can you guys let me out of the van? 
<laughs> but man, the, the the two crews and and ultimately they both were exceptional teams. Mm-hmm. But the transition between the two, like it was ugly <laughs> until they got that lat. Like at the end, then you had the this. The old crew had been excellent. I loved them. But then by the end, they were just like huddled in the corner, <laughs> furious that they had to go to lunch at 1130 and, and breakfast before showering. It was like the three people left. <laughs> and then the, then the, the new crew was frustrated with these old crew that they're, these guys are complaining. They've been here too long. So once they finally got the old, the old crew out, they were all good to go. It was like stor- the storming phase just right in front of me is a science experiment <laughs> yeah for sure i feel like that's a good example of number four which is the unplanned change yeah. like <laughs> like the lunch schedule feels like such a such a small thing but social norms and team norms are just so important to a certain certain manner especially when it's like those are the things in a deployed environment that you kind of cling to that like yeah. those are the things that you know are going to happen throughout the day and and feel very important so I even found myself guilty of this. So at the end of PT or whatever, we would have a cheer, and it was always someone from the construction flight who would lead the start of the cheer. And so this new guy came in. He was in services, like the youngest youngest kid, and he thought he was going to be funny, and he tried to say the cheer, and everyone just looked at him. No one said anything, and even I was like, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> You don't say the cheer. And then I was like walking back. And I was thinking, okay, so how do I want to explain this to this guy? I was like, don't you get it? You don't say the cheer. Construction says the cheer. Like, that's how it works. And I was just like, oh my gosh. That's, so, that's funny. so funny. But hey, after, after six months of just being together every single day you're right there are certain norms that are established and then when someone tries to break go against them it just is shocking we, regardless of how small it is and we, um, we like those little comforts it's like yeah like when you have a team meeting like everybody sits in the same spot every week and like if somebody moves mm-hmm. around everyone's like what's that guy doing yeah. like, yes that's what funny you, what are you doing new guy like that's not your spot nah, that's really funny and so then the uh, the last one, which I need to get my phone going again. Last one is the remedial change, which <laughs> I don't know. I struggle with this one. These the remedial changes to me are that that's probably some of the toughest discussions that I get into. Some of the toughest feedback I have to provide, and especially if it's like a larger change than just a single person, like that that is a a challenge to my humanity to to provide you know that sort of negative feedback i guess yeah so so they define remedial change as when you need to address deficiencies or poor company performance so yeah addressing poor performance no one likes to do it yeah but that's i mean sometimes i feel like it's it's hard but it's freeing to a certain extent because i think like mediocrity hides lots of lots of faults and there's lots of times Mm -hmm. where you know there's things that you can see in a year of job performance where you know you wish a person could perform slightly different but there's maybe not an avenue to really discuss that tactfully you know what i mean like where Mm -hmm. it's just like a little tweak but at the same time you're like I want to keep building these people up. Like, I don't really want to knock this person down a peg just because they're not necessarily doing this process. Right. But I, I do think there's times where, you know, if a team performs badly, if a person runs into a situation where you you get specific negative feedback on, on an individual, you know, I, I think it can honestly be a huge positive both towards that person's performance, but also just your, your relationship to, again going back to that authenticity and honesty to say hey here's here's the feedback that i got about you like let's figure out how to address this and and improve you know i at least for me i i think those are the conversations that i i wish people had uh on my behalf more often just because i really do genuinely seek that sort of honest feedback but you know it still never feels good to either give it or receive it 
Right. I like, I think I've talked about this book on the podcast, but I like the book called Radical Candor. And it talks about the, like the worst thing you can do is have so much empathy for the person that you're unwilling to give them any kind of constructive criticism or, or feedback. For sure. And then they just, you're like cheating them out of the opportunity to improve because you're worried about hurting their feelings. Yep. I mean, I think that's... But it's tough. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you, you have to walk that line as a leader. Like, you don't you don't just want to be an asshole all the time. Because, like, we're, right. we're all, we can all do better every day, probably, if we if we had, you know, the time, the energy, the focus, the money to do everything that we possibly wanted. But the reality is we're, we're all going <laughs> to come up a little short sometimes. Oh, yeah. And, like, you don't want to get knocked down every single time that somebody sees you doing something you could do a little bit better. Yeah, I was thinking that as I, in in my position now, the number of decisions or number of different issues I'm working, like I make so many mistakes every single day, even just starting with prioritization of how I work on issues. Like there's so many ways that I could be doing better and improving. And I think that like as you keep getting higher and higher, there's just more opportunities and because you're just juggling so many different things that there's always opportunity to improve. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I totally agree with what you said. Like, to not provide that constructive feedback is is cheating, you know, both of you, actually, because you're, you're kind of cheating yourself out of a leadership opportunity to teach somebody and to bring something to light that could really improve your team. Yeah. For sure. Well, those were the five that I had. And, and like I said, I know it was a little, it was pretty rare for us to actually get through a, a concrete list of concepts. It's not really I know. Well, you, and we'll have to, I'll have to make sure we put this in the show notes because usually we don't have any reference material either. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's absolutely true. Oh. But like we said, episode 44 will be, will be coming up to celebrate four years of podcast, uh, mediocrity (laughs) (laughs) and uh if you guys do have any mailbag questions we would love to answer them you can you can still email us at noisecancellingpod at gmail.com and so with that i'm frank boyce and this is axel clark hey give us that feedback we're always looking to improve have a great week or month everyone (laughs) take care